0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, A Coffee Break. Tonight, we're going to discuss the assassination of John F. Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, 35th President of the United States. Uh, Before we go into that, though, I'd like to make a thing. I actually made a mistake yesterday in the podcast, yesterday's podcast. Uh, I said that uh, George Bush Sr., uh, owned Bell Helicopter, That's, uh, that was wrong. Lyndon B. Johnson uh, was the one who owned Bell Helicopter during that time. He, of course, he was head of the CIA. Uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush was head of the CIA the time that Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, anyways, I uh, just wanted to put a note to that, uh, that I was, uh, got my uh, thing wrong, that I looked online. Okay, uh, getting on with this here, uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy was the 35th, pres- 35th president of the United States, and he was assassinated on November 22, 1963 at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was riding in a presidential motorcade through Dealey Plaza. Kennedy was riding with his wife, Jacqueline, Texas, Jacqueline, uh, Texas Governor John Conley, and Connolly's wife, Nellie when he was fatally shot by former US Marine, Lee Harvey Oswald, firing an ambush from a nearby building. Governor Connolly was seriously wounded in the attack. Uh, The motorcade rushed to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where President Kennedy was pronounced dead about 30 minutes after the shooting. Connolly recovered from his injuries. Okay, uh, we're gonna gonna dive deep into this uh, situation here. Um, I was watching something on YouTube uh, this afternoon, uh, this, uh, gentleman who was, who a former, uh, secret service agent for the United States government. Um, before that shooting, uh, I guess the book depository is where the main shot came from. But what he was saying is that he was one of the, uh, secret service agents that was riding on the back of the motorcade. And, uh. He uh, heard one of the shots fired. He seen Kennedy uh, stomp down, like he kind of passed. Like, well, first he saw him hold his neck because he knew he had been hit. He rushed around to try to uh, get to Kennedy. Uh, by that time, the other shot was fired. I believe there's probably more than three. Sh- there was probably three shots that got fired. Um, but uh. Yeah, he rushed to try to get to Kennedy for the second shot was actually when the first shot. He actually said that he turned around but all he could see was the presidential motorcade. Uh, he didn't actually see basically where the shot was fired at but he just saw when uh, Kennedy got hit. And at that time when Kennedy got hit he tried to go from the back to the front to try to, to get to the president. Uh, by that time the second uh, shot had been fired. Okay, uh Lee Harvey Oswald. They said he was the one that did the main firing of this. Uh I think there's more to it than that. I think it could have been a good I think it's to this day I still think it was a is a, a government cover up. Uh he had to be there had to be more than just uh one person that fired him shots. Um uh, and one thing, it doesn't really make any sense. Uh, that day, what he had also told me, that Secret Service agent also told, told us on that, on that YouTube video, is that he said that the president wanted to leave the top off. I guess it had like one of those uh, bubble-type tops that you, could, that you could put on there. Uh, it was a see, like a see-through-type glass kind of thing and uh he's told the secret service that he wanted to leave that down he said under no circumstances that's to be raised be put on less the wind's blowing and there was something else that he said but i can't remember what they said uh all he said was he said that but he said uh if the wind is blowing make sure you put it up for my wife's sake Uh, but anyways, everything was calm. I guess the wind was calm that day, so they decided to keep it to keep it down, the to top off. And, uh, and another thing, I can't figure out why they would go down to a specific route. They could have actually went to another route that would have rerouted around, but they decided to go down this certain type route. Now, could that have been a, gov- a government cover-up? Where they were supposed to go down a certain one, and they decided to detour and go down to a different one. Uh, it said here Oswald was arrested by the Dallas Police Department 70 minutes after the initial shooting. Oswald was charged under Texas state law with the murder of Kennedy as well as that of Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett, who had been fatally shot a short time after the assassination. At 11.21 a.m. November 24, 1963, as live television cameras were covering his transfer from the city jail to the county jail, Oswald was fatally shot in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters by Dallas nightclub operator Jack Ruby. Also, Oswald was taken to Parkland Memorial Hospital where he soon died. Ruby was convicted of Oswald's murder, though it was later overturned on appeal and Ruby died in in prison in 1967 while waiting a new trial now it's amazing that you have one person okay we look at oswald right oswald had to know more than you know just killing the president he had to know more uh thing because for jack ruby to knock him off too so uh it, it's all a conspiracy somewhere down the road. I'm sure eventually we're going to know the truth about this whole situation. But um, it's weird that you have, you know, uh, Oswald gets knocked off by Jack Ruby, and Jack Ruby's a nightclub operator. Uh, don't know too much about Jack Ruby and never studied too much about him. But it says here, after a 10 month investigation, the Warren Commission concluded that Oswald assassinated Kennedy, that Oswald had acted entirely alone, which I don't believe that. I don't believe Oswald acted entirely alone. Jack Ruby had something to do with this. Somebody told Jack Ruby to knock Oswald off. So it's, it's somewhere up a line somewhere. Why would they tell Jack Ruby to knock Oswald off? And all of a sudden, you now Jack Ruby dies. In prison or waiting trial or waiting to go to a new trial uh, it said you know it says here uh, I, I don't, I don't think he acted alone he had he had other people that was telling him what to do pull a trigger somewhere uh, maybe it was somebody in his own administration in Kennedy's administration that, uh you know that told him exactly where to stand at exactly which way we're going you know, because how are they going to know exactly which way they're going and where to, where to place somebody to fire a shot? So somebody had to tell him exactly where to stand and to fire that shot at Pacific specific time. Uh, I, don't bl- I, I don't believe he acted alone. I really don't. Kennedy was the eighth and most recent U.S. president to die in office and the fourth following Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinley to be assassinated. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson automatically assumed the presidency upon Kennedy's death. It says here, A later investigation, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations agreed with the Warren Commission that the injuries that Kennedy had conley sustained were caused by Oswald's three-rifle shots. But they also concluded that Kennedy was Probably assassinated, result of a conspiracy. Now, see, I mentioned again a conspiracy. As analysts of a audio recording pointed to the existence of an additional gunshot, and therefore a high prof- probability that two gunmen fired at the president. Which I believe that I still think two gunmen fired at the president. Uh, the committee was not able to identify any individuals or groups involved with the possible conspiracy. In addition, the HSCA found that the original federal investigations were seriously flawed with respect to information sharing and the possibility of conspiracy. Uh, as, re- as recommended by the HSCA, the acoustic evidence indicating conspiracy was re-examined and rejected. Now, it sounds like to me somebody's trying to hide something in the, in the, in the United States government. Uh, because why are they they say now they say everything was flawed before it was automatic you know you're guilty you did it all and now that everything's saying everything is flawed it says here in line the investigative investigative reports determining that reliable acoustic data do not support a conclusion that there was a second government the US Justice Department concluded active investigations and stated that no evidence can be identified to support the theory of a conspiracy in the assassination of President Kennedy. Now, I, I I don't believe that. I still think there was a second gunman, and I'm still gonna believe there's a second gunman in this. Because one thing is, you got one shot, and then another shot. So if one guy's, okay, the, the rifle that he had, it would've took a little bit of time to log in another, to put another one in, because it was like, click, 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 click. It's not like the guns they have today, you know, not like a, a nine millimeter or something like that, you just go pop, 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 or 45. This gun would fire like that. And second of all, you know, it, you got one shot, gets bam, and then all of a sudden there was a second shot. Now the first shot that that I saw in this video, and the second one is that it's like two seconds apart. Now wouldn't you think at the first shot they would have took off flying? They would have they just would have floored it and just been gone. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, it says here though. However, Kennedy's assassination is still subject to widespread debate and has spawned numerous conspiracy theories and alternative scenarios. Polls polls conducted from 1966 to 2004 found that up to 80% of Americans suspected that there was a plot or cover-up, which I think it's true. I think there was a plot, and they're covering up. The United States government is covering it up. Uh, Assassination. Let's see, President says here, President John F. Kennedy chose to travel to Texas, Texas to smooth over frictions in the Democratic Party between liberals, Ralph Yarber and Don Yarber, no relation, and conservative John Connolly. A presidential visit to Texas was first agreed upon by Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, and Texas Governor John Connolly while all three men were together in a meeting in El Paso on June 5, 1963. President Kennedy later decided to embark on a trip with three basic goals in mind. One, to help raise more Democratic Party presidential campaign funds, begin his quest for re-election in November 1964, and three, to help mend political fences among several leading Texas Democratic Party members who appeared to be fighting at the time. Politically amongst them, since the Kennedy and Johnson ticket had barely won Texas in 1960 and had even lost in Dallas. And that's sad. You lose in Dallas, you know, where you have your Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson is from Texas. President Kennedy's trip to Dallas was first announced to the public in September 1963. The exact motorcade route was finalized on November 18th and publicly announced a few days before november 22nd now see they decided which trip they were going to do which way they're going to do it somebody in that motive somebody in that in that administration knew exactly where they were going well they all knew where they were going someone had to have told somebody because how, how else would they have known where to place that where to place those to do those shots where would they have known so somebody i'm thinking it's somebody in kennedy's administration probably spilled the beans uh, you know, they have the route to Delay Plaza, which they could have went another way around, but they didn't. They decided to go this one particular route. Um, man, I tell you, it's something else. Uh, on one of, the, one of the pictures here that I see, it says photo of the presidential limousine taken down, taken between the first and second shots that hit President Kennedy. Kennedy's left hand is in front of his throat. And Mrs. Kennedy's left hand is holding his arm. So that's what I was, what he explained earlier on that video was, you know, he he tried to get to the president. He tried his best to get to the president when he when he saw that shot, when Kennedy was hit and holding his throat, he tried his, tried his best to get to the president. Um, Polaroid photo by Mary Mormon taken a fr- fraction of a second after the fatal shot. Yes, this is the this is the uh, Secret Service agent Clint Hill. Secret Service special agent Clint Hill shields the occupants of the presidential limousine moments after the fatal shots. Yeah, see, he tried his best to get to the president, and they say it was shot where the shots came from was at Texas School Book Depository. Who knows? It could have been shot from somewhere else. So maybe there was. Maybe there was one guy in that and one another guy in another building to be able to get two different shots at two different angles. Um, Kennedy's motorcade route through Dallas with Johnson and Conley was planned to give the president maximum exposure to local crowds before his arrival for a luncheon at the Trademark. I guess we're going to have lunch at the Trademark where he would meet with civic and business leaders. The White House staff informed the Secret Service that the president would arrive at Dallas Love Field via a short flight from Coswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. The Dallas trademark was primarily selected as the place for the luncheon and Kenneth O'Donnell, President Kennedy's friend and appointment secretary had selected it as the final destination on the motorcade route. Leaving from Dallas Love Field, the motorcade had been allowed 45 minutes to reach the trademark at a planned arrival time of 12.15 p.m. This was designed to serve as a mandatory 10-mile route between the two places, and a motorcade vehicles could be driven slowly within the allowed time. Special Agent Winston G. Lawson, a member of the White House Detail, who acted as a, uh, who acted as a Secret Service agent, and Secret Service agent Forrest Forrest V. Sorrell's special agent in charge of the Dallas office were the most active in planning the actual motorcade route. On November 14th, both men attended a meeting at Love Field and drove over the route that Sorrells believed was best suited for the motorcade. From Love Field, the route passed through a suburban section of Dallas, through downtown along Main Street, and finally to the trademark via a short segment. Of the Stemmons Freeway. The president had planned to return to Love Field to depart for a fundraising dinner in Austin later that day. For the return trip, the agent selected a more direct route, which was approximately four miles or 6.4 kilometers. Some of this route would be used after the assassination. The planned route to the trademark was widely reported in Dallas newspapers several days before the event. For the benefit of people who wish to view the motorway see that's where they made a mistake they should have never told people which way this route was going to run should have never told people which way this route was going to run that that was kind of a, a bad mistake for the newspaper uh to pass directly through downtown dallas a route west along main street rather than elm street one block to the north was chosen since this was the traditional parade route and provided the maximal building and crowd views. The Main Street section of the route precluded a direct turn onto the Fort Worth Turnpike exit, which served also as a Stemmons Freeway exit, which was the route to the trademark as the exit was only accessible from Elm Street. Therefore, the planned motorcade route included a short one block turn at the end of the downtown segment of Main Street onto Houston Street, From one block northward before turning again west onto elm that way they could proceed through delhi plaza delhi plaza before exiting elm onto the stimmons freeway the texas school book depository was situated at the northwest corner of the houston and elm street intersection three vehicles were used for secret service and police protection in the dallas motorcade the first car in unmarked white Ford Hardtop Carried Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry, Secret Service Agent Wynn Lawson, Sheriff Bill Decker, and Dallas Field Agent Forrest Soros. The second car, 1961 Lincoln Continental Convertible, was occupied by Driver Agent Bill Greer, SAIC Roy Kellerman, Governor John Conley, Nellie Conley, President Kennedy, and Jackie Kennedy. The third car, 1955 Cadillac Convertible, codenamed Halfback, it's contained driver agent Sam Kenny, ATSAIC Emery Roberts, presidential aides Ken O'Donnell, and Dave Powers, driver agent George Hickey, and PRS agent Glenn Bennett. Secret Service agents Clint Hill, Jack Reddy, Tim McTire, and Paul Landis rode on the running boards on November 22nd after a breakfast speech in Fort Worth where President Kennedy had stayed overnight after arriving from San Antonio, Houston and Washington, D.C. the previous day. The President boarded Air Force One which departed at 11.10 a.m. and arrived at Love Field 15 minutes later at about 11.40 a.m. The Presidential motorcade left Love Field for the trip through Dallas running on a schedule about 10 minutes longer than the planned 45 due to crowds. Big crowds. Estimated 150,000, 200,000 people, and two unplanned stops directed by the president. By the time the motorcade reached Delray Plaza, they were only five minutes away from their planned destination. Uh, they said the assassination, uh, President Kennedy's open top in 1960. See, that's where they made us, they should have covered that up. They shouldn't have had no open top. Um, president Kennedy's open-top 1961 Lincoln Continental four-door convertible limousine entered Dela Plaza at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nellie Connolly, the first lady of Texas, turned around to the president, who was sitting behind her, and committed, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you, which President Kennedy acknowledged by saying, No, you certainly can't. Those were Kennedy's last words. From Houston Street, the presidential limousine made the planned left turn onto Elm, providing it access to the Stemmons Freeway exit. As the vehicle turned onto Elm, the motorcade passed by the Texas School Book Depository. Suddenly, shots were fired at President Kennedy as his motorcade continued down Elm Street. About 80% of the witnesses recalled hearing three shots. That's what I I think. I know there was at least two shots that rang out. A minority of the the witnesses recognized the first gunshot they heard as a weapon fire, but there was hardly any reaction to the first shot from the majority of the people in the crowd or those riding in the motorcade. Many bystanders later said that they heard what they first thought to be either be a firecracker or the backfire of one of the vehicles shortly after the president had begun waving. Although some close witnesses recalled seeing the limousine slow down, nearly stop or completely stop, the Warren Commission based on Ruder film film found that the limousine had traveled an average speed of 11.2 miles per hour over the 186 foot feet of Elm Street, immediately preceding the fatal headshot. Within one second of each other, Governor Conley and Mrs. Kennedy Turn abruptly from looking at to their feet, to the left, to looking to the right, beginning at Zach Ruder film frames, 1.162 point. Conley, like the president, was a, world, was a World War II military veteran, but unlike him, a long time hunter. Conley testified that he immediately recognized the sound as that of a high power rifle. Then he turned his head and torso rightward, attempting to see President Kennedy behind him. Governor Conley testified he could not see the President, so he then started to turn forward again, turning from his right to his left. The Governor also testified that when his head was facing about 20 degrees left of center, he was hit in his upper right back by a bullet that he did not hear get fired. The doctor who operated on Connolly measured his head at the time he was hit as having turned 27 degrees left of center. After Connolly was hit, he shouted, Oh no, 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 my God, they're going to kill us all. Now, let's we'll stop there for a minute. During a time when, when Kennedy, President Kennedy, Kennedy, was going to do this and meet meet with the uh, Democratic Party in Texas, there was a lot of hate for President Kennedy. There, there, there was a lot of hate groups that was there, President Kennedy. I would have stopped and just turned back around and just left. There's no way I would have, I would even visited Texas. If I didn't have to, I would have stepped one foot, I wouldn't have stepped one foot in Texas knowing them hate groups were there. Um, it says Mrs. Conley testified that just after hearing a loud, frightening noise that came from somewhere behind her and to her right, she turned toward President Kennedy and saw him raise up his arms and elbows with his hands in front of his face and throat. She then had heard another gunshot and then Governor Conley yelling, Mrs. Conley then turned away from Kennedy toward her husband, at which point another gunshot sounded and both she and a limousine's rear interior were covered with fragments of skull, blood, and brain. According to the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, Kennedy was waving to the crowds on his right with his right arm upraised on the side of the limo when a shot entered his upper back, penetrated his neck, and slightly damaged his spinal vertebrae and the top of his right lung. The bullet, ex- the bullet exited his throat, nearly centerline, just beneath his larynx, and nicked the left side of his suit tie knot. He raised his elbows and clenched his fists in front of his face and neck, and leaned forward and left. Mrs. Kennedy, facing him, then put her arms around him in concern. According to the Warren Commission's single bullet theory, Governor Connolly also reacted after the same bullet penetrated his back just below his right armpit. The bullet created an oval-shaped entry wound, impacted and destroyed four inches of his right fifth rib, and exited his chest just below his right nipple. This created a two and a half inch oval-shaped, air-sucking chest wound, The same bullet then entered his arm just above his right wrist and clearly shattered his right radius bone into eight pieces. The bullet exited just below the wrist at the inner side of his right palm and finally lodged in his left inner thigh. The Warren Commission theorized that the single bullet struck sometime between Zapruder frames 210 and 225 while the while well, the House Select Committee theorized that it struck at approximately zip radar frame 190, according to the Warren Commission, a second shot that struck, that struck, the president was recorded at Ruger film frame 313. Dot. The Commission made no conclusions as to whether this was the second or third bullet fired. The presidential limousine then passed in front of the John Neely Bryan North Pergola pergola concrete structure the two investigative committees concluded that the second shot hit the president entered the rear of his head and that's the one the second shot is the one you could really see that he had got hit and you know it you know it was bad at that point it says here that the house select committee placed the entry wound four inches higher than the Warren Commission placed it and passed in fragments through his skull This created a large, roughly oval hole on the rear right side of the head. The president's blood and fragments of his scalp, brain, and skull landed on the interior of the car, the inner and outer surfaces of the front glass windshield that raised sun visors, the front engine hood, and the rear truck lid. His blood and fragments also landed on the Secret Service follow-up car and, and its driver's left arm as well on the motorcycle officers who were riding on both sides of the President just behind his vehicle. Secret Service Special Agent Clint Hill was riding on the left front running board of the follow up car which was immediately behind the presidential limousine. Hill testified that he heard one shot that is documented in other films and concurrent was Zap Raider frame 308. He jumped off into Elm Street and ran forward to try to get on the limousine and protect the president. Hill testified to the Warren Commission that after he jumped onto Elm Street, he heard two more shots. After the president was shot in the head, Mrs. Kennedy began climbing on out onto the back of the limousine, though she later didn't have any recollection of doing so. Hill believed she was reaching for something, perhaps a piece of the president's skull. He jumped onto the back of the limousine While at the same time Mrs. Kennedy returned to her seat and he clung to the car as it exited Delay Plaza and accelerated speeding to Parkland Memorial Hospital. After Mrs. Kennedy crawled back into her limousine seat, both Governor and Mrs. Connolly heard her repeatedly say, they have killed my husband, I have his brains in my hand. Mrs. Kennedy recalled all the ride to the hospital. I kept bending over him saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. I keep holding the top of his head down, trying to keep the brains in. This is Governor Connolly and a spectator wounded. Governor Connolly was riding in the same limousine in a seat directly in front of the president and three inches more to the left than Kennedy. He was also ser- seriously injured but survived. Doctors later stated that after the governor was shot his wife pulled him onto her lap and the resulting posture helped close his chest front chest wound which was causing air to be sucked directly into his chest around his collapsed right lung. James Tug was a spectator witness to the assassination. He received a minor wound to the right cheek while standing 531 feet away from the depository 6th floor window, 270 feet in front of and slightly to the right of President Kennedy's head, facing direction, and more than 16 feet below the top of the President's head. Tegu's injury occurred when a bullet or bullet fragment with no copper casing struck the nearby Main Street South curb. A deputy sheriff noticed some blood on Taggo's cheek, and Tago realized that something had stung his face during the shooting. When Taggo pointed to where he had been standing, the police officer noticed a bullet smear on a nearby curb. Nine months later, the FBI removed the curb. Analysts revealed metallic residue consisted with that of the lead, lead core in Oswald's ammunition. Tego testified before the Warren Commission and initially stated that he was wounded on his cheek by either the second or third shot of the three shots that he remembered hearing. When the Commission Council pressed him to be more specific, Tego testified that he was wounded by the second shot. All right, here's um, the aftermath of everything. The presidential limousine passed by the grassy knoll to the north of Elm Street at the time of the fatal headshot. As the motorcade left Delayed Plaza, police officers and spectators ran up the grassy hill and from the triple underpass to the area behind a five foot high stockade fence atop the knoll. Separating from the parking lot, no sniper was found there. L. S. M. Holland, who had been watching the motorcade on the triple underpass, underpass, testified that immediately after the shots were fired, he saw a puff of smoke arising from the trees right by the stockade fence and then ran around the corner where the overpass joined the fence but but did not see anyone running from that area. Lee Bowers, a railroad switchman who was sitting in a two-story tower, had an obstructive view of the rear of the stockade fence atop the grassy knoll during the shooting. He saw four men in that area between his tower and Elm Street that included a middle-aged man and a younger man standing 10 to 15 feet apart in the triple underpass but who did not seem to know each other and one or two uninformed, uninformed parking lot attendants at the time of the shooting he saw something out of the ordinary a sort of milling around which he could not identify. Bowers testified that one or both of the men were still there when the motorcycle officer Clyde Haygood ran up the grassy knoll to the back of the fence in a 1966 interview. Bowers classified that the two men he saw were standing in the opening between the paragola and the fence and that no one was behind the fence at the time the shots were fired. See now, Let's look at this. All right, you have all these people testifying that they saw something, it was four men, but they didn't act like they know knew one another. Now, of course, they're not gonna act like they knew one another. If they committed part of this crime, they're not gonna uh, admit that they know each other, they're not gonna act like they, they know each other. I mean, it's just common sense. Um, it says here, meanwhile, Howard Brennan, a steam fitter, Who was sitting across the street from the Texas School Book Depository noticed, or he notified police that he was watching the motor motorcade go by when he heard a shot that came from above and looked up to see a man with a rifle take another shot from a corner window on the sixth floor. He said he had seen the same man looking out the window minutes earlier. Brennan gave a description of the shooter, and Dallas police. They broadcast the description at 12.45, 12.48, and 12.55 p.m. After the second shot was fired, Brendan recalled that the man he saw previous was aiming for his last shot and maybe paused for another second as though to assure himself he had hit his mark. As Brendan spoke to the police in front of the building, they were joined by Harold, Norman, and James Jarman Jr to employees of the Texas School Book Depository who had watched the motorcade from windows at the southeast corner of the building's fifth floor. Norman reported that he heard three gunshots come from directly over their heads. Norman also heard the sounds of a bolt-action rifle and cartridges dropping on the floor above them. Dallas Police sailed off the exits from the Texas School Book Depository range Approximately t- between 12:33 and 12:50 p.m., there were at least 104 ear witnesses in Delay Plaza who, were on record, with an opinion as to the direction direction from which the shots came from. 54% thought that all shots came from the Texas School Book Depository building. 31% thought that they came from either the grassy knoll or the triple underpass. Thought that each shot came from a location entirely distant from the knoll or the depository 5% believed that they heard shots from two locations and three thought the shots originated from a direction consistent with both the knoll and the depository. The Warren Commission additionally concluded that three shots were fired and said that a majority of the witnesses stated that the shots were not evenly spaced. Most witnesses recalled that the second and third shots were bunched together. Oh boy, I tell you. Um, getting back to this uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, that you know, like I said, I I I believe that he did not. Do this alone they, they had the other two two uh, marksmen that had to have been with him but maybe they were put maybe Oswald was in that book depository and maybe another gentleman maybe another gentleman was in that uh, grassy area that they were talking about. Um, it says here Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. It says here, Roy Truly Lee Harvey Oswald's supervisor at the depository reported him missing to Dallas police about 70 minutes after the assassination. Oswald was arrested for the murder of Dallas Police Officer J.D. Tippett. According to witness Helen Markham, Tippett had spotted Oswald walking on a sidewalk in the residential neighborhood of Oak Cliff, three miles from Delay Plaza. Officer Tippett had earlier received a radio message that gave a description of the suspect being sought in the assassination and he called Oswald over to the patrol car. It says uh, Markham testified that after an exchange of words, Tippett got out his car and Oswald shot him four times. Multiple witnesses saw a man they identified as Oswald, shoot Tippett or flee the scene after emptying the bullet casing from his gun. Oswald was next seen by Sioux store manager Johnny Brewer ducking into the entrance acclave of his store. Suspicious of this activity, Brewer watched Oswald continue up the street and slip into the nearby Texas theater without paying. Brewer alerted the theater's ticket clerk, who telephoned the police at about 1.40 p.m. According to M.N. McDonald, who was one of the arresting officers, Oswald received resisted arrest, and was attempting to draw his pistol when he was struck and forcibly restrained by the police. He was charged with the murders of President Kennedy and Officer Tippett. Later that night, Oswald denied shooting anyone and claimed he was a patsy who was arrested because he had lived in the Soviet Union. Well, let's see. Okay, earlier talking about, last night I was talking about uh, uh, the UFO... Uh, conspiracy theories well they were saying that Kennedy had something to do with the Russians they were trying to build uh, uh, supersonic jets and all this all this mess and stuff Um, and if he was Oswald was uh, had lived in the Soviet Union well maybe they maybe that was the cause that he uh, he figured he had to do to kill the president You know, maybe the Russians didn't like the president. Maybe they didn't like Kennedy. Oswald's case never came to trial. Two days after the assassination, as he was being escorted to a car in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters for the transfer from the city jail to the county jail, Oswald was fatally shot by Dallas nightclub owner Jack Ruby. The incident was broadcast live on American television at 1121 a.m. Central Standard Time on Sunday, November 24th. Oswald was rushed by ambulance to Parkland Medical Hospital, or Memorial Hospital, the same facility where doctors had tried to save President Kennedy. Um, President Kennedy's life two days earlier, he he died at 1.07 p.m. Oswald's death was announced on a TV news broadcast by Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry. An autopsy was performed by Dallas County Medical Examiner Dr. Earl Rose at 2.45 p.m., The same day, uh, Earl was 240. The same day, this uh, they stated cause of death in autopsy report was hemorrhage secondary to gunshot wound of the chest. Arrested immediately after shooting, Ruby later said that he had been distraught over the Kennedy assassination and that Kennedy Oswald would spare Mrs. Kennedy uh, coming back to trial. Okay, this rifle, this rifle that was used to kill Kennedy was an Italian Carcano M91-38 bolt-action rifle. Uh, the cartridge was found on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository by, by Deputy Constable Seymour Witzman and Deputy Sheriff Eugene Boone soon after the assassination of President Kennedy. The recovery was filmed by Tom Ailey of WFAA-TV. This footage shows the rifle to be Carcano and it was later verified by photographic analysts commissioned by the HFCA that the rifle filmed was the same one later identified as the assassination weapon. Compared to photographs taken of Oswald holding the rifle in his backyard, one notch in the stock at point that appears very faintly in the photograph matched, as well as the rifle's dimensions. The second-hand Carcano rifle had been purchased by Oswald in previous March under the alias A. Heidel. Now, why would he? Why would he want to purchase purchase a rifle by not using his real name? And why would he use A. Heidel? I'm thinking maybe he knew who this guy was, this A. Heidel, and knew he had a clean record. Um... So probably, he probably used him so he can get the background. I don't know how the background checks were done back then. They probably were more lenient than what they are now. But I'm sure they were strict even then, back in the 1960s. I'm sure they were strict, um, you know, and all that. So I'm sure this A. Heidel, whoever this A. Heidel is, he knew him or knew her. Well, I guess that'd be a male. Uh, Maybe he uh, had a spotless clean record. Okay, and it says, and delivered to a post office in Dallas where Oswald had rented a post office box. According to the Warren Commission report, a partial palm print of Oswald was also found on the barrel of the gun. And a tuft tuft of fibers found in a crevice of the rifle was consistent with the fibers and colors of the shirt Oswald was wearing at the time of his arrest. A bullet found on Governor Conley's hospital gurney had two bullet fragments found in the presidential limousine were basically matched to this rifle. President Kennedy declared dead in the emergency room. The staff at Parkland Hospital's trauma room, who treated President Kennedy, observed that his condition was meaning that he had no chance of survival upon arriving at the hospital. George Berkeley The president's personal physician stated that a gunshot wound to the skull was a cause of death. Berkeley signed President Kennedy's death certificate. Um, The president was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time after all heart activity had ceased. Father Father, uh, Huber Huber administered the last rites of the Roman Catholic Church. Father Huber told The New York Times that the president was already dead by the time he arrived at the hospital, and he had to draw back a sheet covering the president's face to administer the sacrament of extreme unification. President Kennedy's death was officially announced by White House Acting Press Secretary Malcolm Kidloff at 1.33 p.m. Central Standard Time. Kidloff was Acting Press Secretary on the trip because Pierre Singer was traveling to Japan with half the cabinet, including Secretary of State Dean Rusk. Governor Connolly, meanwhile, was taken to emergency surgery where he underwent two operations that day. Members of the president's sec- security detail were attempting to remove Kennedy's body from the hospital when they briefly scuffled with Dallas officials, including Dallas County Coroner Earl Rose who believed that he was legally obligated to perform an autopsy before the president's body was removed. Secret Service pushed through and Rose eventually stepped aside. The forensic panel of the HSCA, of which Rose was a member, later reported that Texas law indicated that it was the responsibility of the justice of the peace to determine the cause of death, as well as the necessity of whether an autopsy was needed to determine the cause of death. Terrain Ward, a justice of the peace in Dallas County, signed the official record of inquest, as well as a second certificate of death. A few minutes after 2 p.m., Kennedy's body was taken from Parkland Hospital to Love Field. His casket was then loaded onto Air Force One through the rear door, where it remained at the rear of the passenger's compartment in place of removed row seats. Johnson had accompanied Kennedy to Dallas and was riding two cars behind the president in a motorcade. The new president refused to leave for Washington without Kennedy's remains and his widow. At 2.38 p.m. Central Standard Time, Lyndon Johnson with Jacqueline Kennedy at his side took the oath of office, ministered by federal judge Sarah T. Hughes, on board Air Force One shortly before departing from Love Field for the flight back to Washington, D.C. Um... It says the autopsy was performed at the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. The procedure began at around 8 p.m. and ended at about midnight. The choice of autopsy, choice of autopsy hospital in the Washington, D.C. area was made at the request of Mrs. Kennedy on the basis that John F. Kennedy had been a naval officer during World War II. Um, this is really sad how this happened. Um, it, it's, a, it's a shame a shame that somebody tried to do something good for the United States, keep this country as a whole, and his life was was uh, was taken at an early age. It's 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 sad. It really is. Um, it said the state funeral took place in Washington D.C. during the three days that followed the assassination. The body of President Kennedy was flown back to Washington D.C. and placed in the East Room of the White House for twenty-four hours. On the Sunday after the assassination, his coffin was carried on a horse-drawn on, cast to the United States Capitol to lie in state throughout the day and night hundreds of thousands of people lined up to view the guarded casket representatives from over 90 countries attended the state funeral on Monday November 25th after the mass at St. Matthew's Cathedral the president was laid to rest 2.7 miles from the White House at Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia uh, And uh, I tell you what, it says here that no radio or television stations broadcast the assassination live. Most media crews did not ride with the motorcade, but were insisted waiting at the Dallas trademark in anticipation of President Kennedy's arrival there. Members of the media who were with the motorcade were riding at the rear of the other of first pers- possession. Dallas police were recording the radio transmissions over two individual channels. <sighs> you know, I tell you, it's sad. It really is sad. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, this podcast this evening. I want to thank everybody for stopping in and listening to this podcast of Coffee Break. Everybody have a good night. Thank you for stopping by and good night.